Tell Me More, a podcast where you can join Pravnor and Navya, two psychotherapy students, as they dive into various topics through a psychotherapy lens. This podcast will get you thinking and reflecting on all things mental health, ranging from self-care to learning more about what exactly cognitive behavior therapy is. We hope you stick around. In today's episode, we are excited to explore the topic of mental health in children and the psychotherapy approaches that are used with this population. We're really looking forward to having Camille on our podcast today. Camille is a second-year psychotherapy master's student who has studied at McMaster University in the Human Behavior Program. During that time, she volunteered with kids at the McMaster Children's Hospital as well as the Anxiety Treatment and Research Clinic. Currently, she is working in a private practice with children ages 9 to 18. She also has a keen interest in studying obsessive-compulsive disorder presentations in children. A final interesting fact about Camille is that she actually went to college for baking and pastry art. So welcome, Camille. Thank you so much for joining us in today's episode. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. How are you feeling? How's everything been going today? Oh, everything's been good, you know, just super busy and yeah, excited to be to be joining you. Yeah, awesome. So maybe we'll start off by learning a bit more about your experience at the private practice. So I know Navya mentioned that you've been working with individuals who are ranging from like ages nine to 18. How has that experience been for you? It's been really great working with kids and adolescents is something that I've always really loved and have always wanted to to continue doing in a professional capacity. And so being able to work in a psychotherapeutic setting with these youngsters is just super exciting for me. And it's a lot of fun. There's lots of different parts to it that, you know, can be a bit challenging and can be also really rewarding. So it's been really great. Yeah, I think that's so insightful, that balance between, you know, sometimes there are things that are very difficult when we're especially working with a different population, whether that's children, youth and older adults, but it is quite rewarding. Yeah, that's nice to hear. And I'm excited to hear more about how that transition has been for you, because for our listeners who don't know, a lot of our training in our program is focused on adults. And so we do have quite a bit of experience on how psychotherapy relates to adults, but not as much in different age groups. And so, yeah, I'm really curious to hear what that transition has been like but I'm wondering to start off Camille how does mental health look in children like can you tell us something about some differences between what it looks like in children and then adults for sure yeah it can definitely be a little bit tricky with kids right they have a lot of changes going on and they're developing quickly and they don't always have the ability to express how they're feeling and what they're thinking about and so Some things that can appear like red flags for parents or or for even clinicians can sometimes be developmentally appropriate depending on their age. And so having to sort of figure out and do some detective work to see if something is perhaps indicative of something more or if it's something that's more of an appropriate behavior depending on their developmental phase or stage is kind of interesting and it makes things a bit more different from when you work with adults. But a lot of disorders emerge during childhood and adolescence as well. Mm -hmm. So 
it's a pretty big time for kids to an important time for clinicians to recognize these issues. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, I know that because we've done a lot of work with adults or explored our treatments through some of the work that we do with adults, what have you done to prepare or gain that knowledge working with children? Or how has your private practice even supported you in gaining that extra knowledge that we just haven't had the opportunity to explore through our classes? Yeah, it's been a lot of in the moment research and adapting quickly and thinking on your feet. I've been doing a lot of reading, a lot of discussion with my supervisor about, you know, what might be a typical type of behavior or reaction from a child that might seem a little bit worrisome at first, but is actually really common. And so having to sort of figure out those differences between what is typical and what may be atypical has been definitely a challenge and a learning experience and has required a lot of additional research and a lot of extra work at times. That makes a lot of sense, Camille. You're right. There's so much variation even within a certain age, right? So if we look at all five-year-olds or all seven-year-olds, like there's so much variation kid to kid and also their own developmental trajectory, but to also then factor in mental health and that complexity that we know exists there, I, I can't even imagine how much more tricky that is. And it sounds like these conversations between you and your supervisor become even more important because you're able to get some of their experiences, some of your own experiences and bring that together and really discuss certain cases. Mm-hmm, exactly. And the one sort of commonality that there is between kids and adult treatment is that functional impairment component. Mm-hmm. Even if kids don't really understand what's going on, they will notice if, you know, maybe they're not succeeding in school as they used to or like their friends are or they're having difficulty sleeping. And parents and teachers obviously play a really important role in that as well. Yeah. I'm wondering in terms of how that looks, that symptomology that you just even shared. So I know I've done a lot of work through my practicum with individuals experiencing depression. So a lot of their concerns often are that lack of interest or that anhedonia or feeling that they don't have that motivation and things that they want to do. They're feeling all these emotions. And I'm wondering how does that look in kids or how does that differ from adults versus children? Mm-hmm. You know, there are quite a few similarities that I've come across that lack of interest at times can be something that really comes about. They used to really like their hobbies or their extracurriculars, but now they've just lost interest or having difficulties with their friends and maybe experiencing some rejection or difficulty socializing. So there's a common thread between those kinds of difficulties with children and with adults. There's also other more subtle, subtle things where They might be just frequently cranky and irritable. They might be fearful of lots of different things that they weren't before. And so those kinds of things, um, they can be a little bit different in children than with adults who might more so express that hopelessness or feeling of being low. Kids Mm -hmm. might just describe it differently. Yeah, so Camille, you previously mentioned this idea of how it's harder for children to even notice, but even communicate that the differences that they're noticing, the symptoms that they're experiencing. And I'm just imagining like what a big complexity that can add into the situation because 
a lot of people that come into our clinic where I'm doing my placement, they have a certain level of insight into like, this is how my life has changed. And these are the things I'm feeling. This is what I'm noticing in terms of even thoughts and behaviors. And so I'm wondering, how does that play a role then when you're working with children? And of course, they're still developing cognitively. And so that certain level of vocabulary, insight, all of that is still something that they're working on. Mm-hmm, definitely, especially having that vocabulary to describe mm-hmm. how they're feeling is tricky. Some kids are super great and very insightful and able to really describe what's going through their minds and bodies and what they're feeling. And others just don't quite have the capacity yet to think about thinking, which is hard for adults oftentimes. And I guess that sort of metacognitive ability is is super difficult for kids, you know, when they're still sort of trying to figure out all these different components and they're feeling distressed at times. So if they're dealing with these mental health difficulties and so Thinking about thinking is not always something that that they are interested in doing, but they are definitely able to to learn those skills just like adults and more appropriately communicate what's going on with them, of course, with developmental concerns taken into account. Yeah, and I'm wondering, speaking of skills, what have been certain modalities or treatment styles that you've been exploring and working with with the children that you're working with in private practice? Yeah, so I've been mostly working with individual clients, so with the kids all by themselves, with the occasional sessions with parents. And we've been doing a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy with these children and adolescents. And so it seems to be a really good fit for kids, this present focused nature of the treatment and its experiential components. Those things can be quite helpful for kids, I've found, and uh, make it a bit more applicable to their lives. So I'm wondering on that end, you've mentioned a little bit about working individually with kids and also with their parents. How does that look like working with parents? Yes. So working with parents is definitely one of those things that separates work with kids from adults, I think. It's something that can be really great. Parents really help generalize the skills that we're doing in therapy in session. They, you know, help with homework compliance and exposures at home. It can be like a real coach for their children Mm -hmm. um, throughout the treatment process. And at the same time, there can also be some, some more challenging aspects of that, of course, right? A lot of the times the parents are the ones paying for it in private practice. And so finding that balance between working for the child who is the client and also satisfying the needs of the parents who want to be involved a lot of the times can be a bit of a tricky experience and having to work to you know create those barriers with parents can be one of the more challenging aspects of treating kids and placing the child as the definitive center of treatment and as the client is something that I found is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it sounds like even setting out those boundaries early on could be helpful as well. So like, this is how we function in this clinic. These are kind of your roles as a coach and a parent and generalizing those skills, but also in session, it's about the child and their experience and how they're able to communicate. Yeah. Exactly. And then I'm also wondering, Camille, so you mentioned cognitive behavior therapy. And as we know, that's a modality that's used with a lot of different populations. So how have you adapted CBT and some of those strategies that are involved there to the youth population or the child population? Hmm. So with cognitive behavior therapy, 
both components of the cognitive and the behavioral Mm -hmm. side are included in treatment. But behavioral strategies really are sort of emphasized, I'd say, with many children, just given those cognitive developmental considerations that we have to Mm -hmm. take. And so just behavioral experiments and exposure practices, lots of you know role play activities can be a hands-on way for kids to, to understand these different concepts. And those have been something that I have found are really helpful with kids and that kids actually enjoy doing, which is, you know, half the battle with them. Yeah. I'm wondering if there's any examples that come to mind to demonstrate what one of those activities looks like for one of your clients that you're working with. Yeah, so there's lots of different things, you know, exposure practices, of course, we go out and sort of test our beliefs and try to, to develop a hierarchy where focus is on habituating their anxiety and and fearfulness in those situations. But with others, like even cognitive activities, we do lots of role plays where we problem solve and do conversations, it can be actually quite silly and playful at times, which is like half of the fun. But yeah, we do lots of crafts, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing where we draw out, we call it like a CBT flower, where the soil is like the the precipitant, and then there's the thoughts for the stem. And each of the cognitions and feelings and behaviors are different petals, and they can choose colors and that kind of thing. It can be just a lot more fun for them. Another kind of example is creating a chain of events. So we do an actual like sort of chain out of paper that they write them all down and they can see how each sort of different component connects with the next and how changing even one of those links in the chain can affect the outcome. Yeah, this sounds like a lot more fun for the therapist <laughs> as well. <laughs> Just as I'm listening to this, like the, the CBT flower and the chain of events and especially for hands-on learners. Mm-hmm. And we know like a lot of children, the visualization part, the hands-on part is so key. And I would even imagine like certain types of experiential exercises like these could be helpful for certain adults as well, where it's like you physically see like when you remove a certain link in the chain, it falls apart, right? Like it's no longer that chain that it was before. And so I just am, I love that you're able to adapt it that way. And I can see value in doing that for a lot of different populations as well. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun, especially yeah. as a crafty person. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love those kinds of things. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it can be a lot of fun with the kids too, because they get excited. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's quite rewarding. Yeah, I'm thinking about the flower example that you shared. So what would you compare that to in terms of what one would do with an adult within a CBT protocol, so to say? Yeah, that's a great question. It's almost like you can do it as a like a thought record almost with kids that they understand, you know, what situations sort of prompted these different thoughts and emotions and physical reactions. And it kind of just puts it all on on one page Mm -hmm. where they can more clearly see what's going on and what sort of led to different, different reactions. And yeah, I'd say that's probably the closest thing that we could compare it to. Because a thought record is just boring to look at. And, <laughs> you know, um, we could add some color to it, but I don't think it would hold their attention for very long. Yeah. And for those who are listening, a thought record really is one of those foundational skills that we use in CBT or cognitive behavior therapy, where we try to capture 
emotions that you noticed that were rising in a particular situation any and any thoughts that were coming up for you related to those high emotions or those negative emotions and then we try to dig a little deeper into those thoughts to see are there any distortions or is there something that we're missing within those thoughts so sometimes absolutely it's really in the chart format where we're just like what was the situation what were your emotions what were the thoughts so I can I can see how that isn't the most exciting and visually pleasing thing to look at a flower sounds a lot more fun to do as well we also do a lot of walk-in talks that's something that I've kind of come to see as beneficial because kids hate just sitting on you know the couch and talking and so getting them to be a bit more like physically active there's stuff to look at and there's stuff to play with in their hands those kinds of things can keep their attention for a little bit longer than you know just sitting in the office would yeah and I feel like it feels a little bit less heavy as well where you're just sitting and being asked about you know difficult situations distressing situations here you get to engage in some sort of activity and it feels less like therapy or like formal talk therapy so yeah I can imagine that that helps some of the children open up a little bit and even build rapport with you where you're no longer like a therapist and then a child because that power differential I can't even imagine what it would be like starting out but it's more so like okay just someone here who's doing these activities with me making flowers with me and now I'm able to open up a little bit more and share that yeah have you noticed that is the case Camille that maybe there's some resistance early on but as you engage in these kinds of activities think people open up a little bit more yeah I mean that's definitely something that comes up a lot when working with kids um, okay, okay. a lot of the time it wasn't their idea to attend therapy yeah. you know it's because of their parents that they've you know arrived at your office and so there are even times when they don't even know it why they're there or what they're going to be doing with you and so Trying to find a way to encourage buy-in and engagement right off the bat by sort of making the atmosphere a little bit more fun, a little bit less heavy and sort of like Mm -hmm. formal can be really, I think, powerful for kids. And even just having their parents not in the room, I think can be really empowering and can just sort of show that they can be autonomous and independent and have some choice in what's going to happen in the situation where they probably didn't have much choice to start with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds really, it does sound really empowering. And it also just sounds like you've been having a really great experience working with children throughout your practicum. And I think it's so valuable that we get that experience to such a diverse range of populations ourselves and I'm just wondering what has been the most important meaningful or impactful interaction you've had in your practicum I guess just like even just seeing the small differences that come about those little changes week to week that you know kids will come and share these like exciting stories with you about something that they did that they wouldn't have done, you know, weeks ago. You know, maybe they talked to someone new at school that they had never talked to before. And that was something that was really upsetting and distressing at first and something that they would have never considered. But maybe they've applied like one tiny skill. They've maybe memorized a question that they could ask that we talked about and that we role played and, you know, just gave it a shot. And then when it works out, it's super exciting and it can be a really like celebratory experience in session, which isn't something that I think you do so much with, with adults, like you reinforce that kind of thing, but you know, it can be a really big, oh my God, I can't believe you did this sort of uh, situation, yeah. which is a lot of fun. <laughs> 
That's amazing. Yeah, I, I can imagine this motivation side of things too, especially when they haven't chosen to be there is so key. Like a little bit of this role as a therapist, but also a cheerleader and celebrating their accomplishments and then also being by their side when things don't go well or difficult things do come up. So it sounds like a very involved role in terms of actually interacting with the children and that brings a question to mind for me, Camille, is like, what kind of skill set do you think you need to then work with children or with this population? Because it sounds like there's a lot of adapting, a lot of being on your feet. So I'm just curious to know, like, what kinds of skills have you learned or practiced? I think something that's been really important for me is just to like, embrace that curiosity side of myself, Mm -hmm. you know, and being creative in session. Oftentimes, the kids will show up, um, even teens will show up, and I will have sort of a plan in mind of what we're going to do. And, you know, something's come up, and we need to think on our toes. And which is something that happens with adults, but with kids, you know, there's also that engagement that you need to incorporate. Mm -hmm. And so, thinking on your toes, being curious, asking them all kinds of questions, because a lot of times they've not thought about these, these things and, you know, or never been asked. And so just asking tons and tons of questions and giving them the option to answer if they'd like and trying to find fun ways for us to, to work on whatever it is that's come up that day is something that was a bit of a, of a learning curve, but was also a lot of fun for me as a learner. That sounds amazing. And I'm just wondering, Camille, what was it about your work or even in the past that really encouraged you to working with children? Because I know everything that we've been doing so far has been geared towards adults, but it's a, it seems like you took a little bit of a off path course and you had an opportunity to work with kids. So what encouraged you to choose that population? Working with kids and, and young people and teens and even like young adults is something that I've always loved to do. And I've always just appreciated kids' sense of curiosity and their perspective in life and their resilience and, you know, their kind of brutal honesty at times. All those things have sort of helped me want to sort of play a role of some kind in their development. And the impact that working with with someone that's so young is something that can't be taken lightly and they're in such an important part of their lives for like gathering these skills and confidence that will you know help them live their their full meaningful life and sort of just even being involved in a small step in helping possibly help them create that sort of future for themselves where they may be a bit more resilient maybe a bit more prepared for whatever might come ahead is something that is you know, a rewarding experience and something that, you know, is a pleasure to be part of. Yeah, I can just tell by the way you talk about all of these topics that we've discussed today, like, this is such a good place for you. And I can only imagine like how the children that you work with and the different groups, how they react to that, because your passion really does shine through. And even therapeutically, like we know how beneficial early intervention can be with some of these mental health concerns. And so like, whereas Prabhner and I see them a little bit later on in their lives, you know, usually like late 30s, 40s and onwards, um, for you, you're kind of getting in there when things are early, when they're learning so much about how the world works. And 
what a big impact that can have absolutely and we talk about core beliefs a lot maybe we'll do an episode on that at some <laughs> point but it's really like these underlying core beliefs that people have about how the world works and so for you Camille it sounds like you're kind of on the front line there in terms of being there when they are learning that and developing some of these and how influential that can be for them yeah and I think that age is so impactful there's so much mm -hmm. happening when you are like a child and also into adolescence and young and early at adulthood where you see a lot of mental health concerns rising like you mentioned so getting a chance to jump in for that early intervention or just to offer those supports and a lot of times some of the work stuff that we're sharing I like to think of as like life skills so to have those mm -hmm. life skills early on to really help us throughout our own life journey can be so helpful because you get to practice those from day one and continue it throughout your life to again help out with whatever struggles that do come up and I think it's amazing work that you're doing and I'm really excited to see uh, at the end of your practicum and you know when you're into into the workforce how work looks for you thanks so much yeah it's something that is super exciting and you know it's nice to think that there could be something that you do that impacts someone throughout their lives which is something that happens with adults too but you know that chance early on is something that is just an honor to be able to be a part of yeah it's very unique and it sounds like you have the perfect skill set as well to do something like that in terms of thinking on your feet the curiosity it sounds like it's, it's a really good fit for you thanks so much you guys <laughs> yeah. no but thank you so much Camille for joining us to talk more about mental health and how that looks like in children and even a bit more about your practicum and how that experience has been for you we are very grateful for you to take this time out to talk to us and we want to thank you for being a part of our episode today thank you for inviting me on I've loved talking about it something that I don't get to chat about super often <laughs> Just as we end, we wanted to remind you that this information is meant to be purely educational. We are not health professionals, just graduate students navigating these topics with you. Any podcast content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. So we recommend always seeking the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions regarding your mental health or well-being. And we also want to share some resources with you. This includes Family Care Center by the organization called Children's Mental Health Ontario. They offer a resource hub for parents and caregivers of children and youth with mental illness. They also have Parents for Children's Mental Health, or PCMH. They are peer support chapters located across Ontario that provide a safe and friendly place to connect with others, feel heard, and get help navigating children and youth mental health systems. There's also Mood Disorders Association of Ontario that offers free support groups and recovery programs to people across Ontario living with depression, anxiety, or bipolar disorder. There's also Kids Help Phone, which is a free counseling and free crisis text line service offered 24-7, targeted towards youth populations. They offer a great deal of mental health resources on their website. There's also Youth Wellness Center connected to St. Joseph's Healthcare Hamilton. And there's also Good to Talk, which is an online confidential mental health support for post-secondary students in Ontario and Nova Scotia. Some additional resources include Connects Ontario, Wellness Together Canada, Virtue Mental, and Open Path Collective. But we always encourage everyone to check out your own local resources and reach out to those resources if you need the help. 
As always, you can connect with us through our email, which is so tell me more podcast at gmail.com and our Instagram page at so tell me more podcast. You can check out our Instagram page for any future updates. And either of those avenues are a great way to share anything you're interested in hearing on the podcast as well as additional feedback. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts, or wherever else you're listening right now. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you learned something new or simply enjoyed our exploration of mental health and psychotherapy in children. We're excited to continue exploring new topics in future episodes, but for now, stay safe and take care.